welcome to this week's A Photographic Life Back to the Usual Format. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bill Shapiro last week, something we're going to be doing every month in the first week of each month going forward. But as I say, we're back to the usual format this week, and it's a bit of a mix bag, I should say. I'm going to kick off with a tweet that I saw from the art critic Jerry Souts. If you're not following him on Twitter, I think you're missing out. That's Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, Souts, S-A-L-T-Z. Anyway, Jerry said this. Artists, your job is not to make something that is smart or good for society or an example of some theory or a perfect rendering of this or that or to make it true. Your job is to make something convincing, credible, alluring and absorbing, something that whispers, come here. I have to agree with Jerry. I like what he's saying there. As always, he's deliberately controversial. But what's wrong with that in this world in which we live? Well, as long as it doesn't hurt people, of course. I was reminded in the last week about the first time I ever took on a commission, a commissioned photograph, a portrait, actually, for a magazine. It's of a young Russian fashion designer who was just leaving St. Martin's School of Art and had his first London fashion show. I was nervous. I was working with the Hasselblad camera on film. I'd chosen to do it in black and white. I know St. Martin's, or I knew how St. Martin's looked in those days on Charing Cross Road, and I knew the big rooms with the fantastic light and big windows upstairs, so I knew I was going to photograph him in one of those spaces. I took along my black and white film, as I say, my Hasselblad, no tripod. I wasn't very sure about how the camera worked. In fact, I've got to be honest with you, I didn't really have a clue. As I said, I've never been taught anything. And as close as I got to learning how to use a uh, tripod was years later. And how to use a Hasselblad was something I was taught by the photographer Terry O'Neill. But he only taught me how to load it. I was nervous, and so I went and had lunch in Soho before I went to the shoot. I had a few too many glasses of crisp white wine, and when I got to the shoot, I was kind of a little bit toasty and warm, shall we say. Anyway, I was comfortable with the pictures, and I took the pictures. When I got them processed, what I recognised was that I'd been a little bit snap-happy with the shutter release, and quite a few of the pictures were soft. But to me, that worked really nicely. It gave the pictures a feel of a kind of timeless quality. It kind of took them back to the 1940s, back to early Avedon work. And I really like that kind of approach. Anyway, I took the pictures, the magazine liked them, and they ran them. No problem. I later on entered the portraits for what was then the John Cabal Portrait Award, what's now the Taylor Wessing. The portraits were successful. They were chosen and they were exhibited in the National Portrait Gallery. Well, one of them was anyway. After that uh, exhibition, or during that exhibition, I should say, really, uh, the Amateur Photographer magazine wrote a critique of the work that was shown. And they chose to pick me out as an example of where photography was going wrong. My pictures were out of focus, for goodness sake. They weren't well lit. They weren't well composed. 
they weren't what the amateur photographer magazine thought was photography, let alone portrait photography or photography that should be exhibited in a prestigious national gallery. Well, of course, I quite like that. I thought I've actually said something there. Perhaps that work had the whisper that Jerry Saltz was talking about just then. I know for one thing that I never really captured that essence of that portrait shoot ever again. I didn't need to drink before following shoots. I was confident in what I was doing. And as I got better with the Hasselblad, I lost that naivety. I lost that uh, ability to make mistakes. Maybe that's something that I shouldn't have lost. In a way, I'm still trying to get back to that first shoot in every shoot I take on today. Somebody whose photographic images are far more considered than my early adventures were is Lise Johansson. And she's going to tell us this week what photography means to her in just under five minutes. So who is she? Well, Lise was born in 1985 and studied photography at the Media College Viborg, Denmark, and at the Vera School of Art and Design, Copenhagen. She describes herself as a visual artist and photographer, whose starting point for her artistic practice is to create a sense of distorted reality, where the inspiration comes from the borderland that exists between the conscious and the unconscious. Her images, often physical miniatures of landscapes and architectural spaces, combine with textures and objects photographed to use as building blocks in the editing process. Her work has been exhibited worldwide in London, Paris, Copenhagen and New York, and in 2017 she received two awards at the Sony World Photography Awards, and recently she won the title Photographer of the Year 2020 in the International Colour Awards and first place in the 2021 International Photography Awards in the Fine Art category. She currently lives and works in Copenhagen, Denmark. Hi, this is Lisa Johansson. I'm a photographer and I live and work in Copenhagen in Denmark. And this is what photography means to me. I started my journey with photography when I was about probably 12 or 13 years old. My father, he gave me his old analog camera. He taught me how to photograph and um, that was it. I was hooked uh, from the very beginning. I was so fascinated with the medium and, and I started photographing a lot as a teenager. Then when I was in my 20s, I went to an art school where I learned to develop film. And also for the first time, I, I worked in, in the dark room. And, and for me back then, the, the process was just magical. I, I remember finding these old films that hadn't been developed and, and they'd just been sitting in, in the camera for decades and taking them into the dark room, revealing what was long forgotten. It was just uh, so fascinating. My my interest in photography uh, just kept going and also made me decide to get an education as a professional photographer. And ever since I finished school, I have used the camera and photography as a tool to to express issues where words to me have not been sufficient. Photography is the most important element in my work. Without it, I will not be able to express what I feel or what I want to say with my work. Um, as a photographer uh, and artist, I work with staged, staged images um, and my photographs often take departure from miniatures, which I built myself. I, uh, 
uh, either either miniatures of landscapes or architectural spaces. I build them in scale one to twelve and photograph them afterwards. The camera here allows me to change the perception and to create an illusion of a real-sized house or, or landscape, but with this element of, of something uncanny, which is why the camera is such an important tool to me. I'm interested in themes such as identity, place and belonging, including mental health issues, politics and social life. Uh, and in my work as a photographer, I often take departure from a very personal point of view. Uh, when I explore and investigate questions about society and internal life, the camera and the use of light are the most important tools I have. They allow me to create the images I, I visualize beforehand. To me, the creative process and photography is also a way that helps me to address some of the questions that takes up a lot of space in my mind. Like for some people, with writing their thoughts down on paper, to me, it helps to photograph but also to build miniatures, do research and investigate a theme. Uh, in my work as a photographer, I, I aim to leave the audience in space in between something familiar and strange at the same time, but also to ask questions about the relationship between humans and the world we live in. Photography then as a medium allows me to create a setting that look real. Uh, it looks real, even though it has been invented or, or staged, and, uh, and this gives me creative freedom to construct the images. I photograph objects in the studio, which then become building blocks for digital collage. Um, and I'm also trying to expose the hidden in the ordinary and familiar, and, and uh, to pursue this un uncanny quality. And to me, uh, the photography allows me to do this. What I also love about photography is how you can use the medium and take it in so many different directions. Uh, for years, I worked with photography and I started with analog film. Uh, and now uh, I, all my work is almost, almost always through digital collage. There's always something new to learn. And uh, I love finding photographic work where I'm not able to tell how the photographer made it. It's, it's intriguing and it makes me want to learn more. Thank you very much, Lise, for your contribution this week. I have to say, work that could not be further away from my personal kind of interest in the medium. But it's always so interesting to me to hear about people doing work which is the opposite to your own and perhaps doesn't necessarily fit into your personal aesthetic. So if you're not aware of her work, you know what to do. Check out her website. As always, the link to that is on the page where this podcast is posted at the United Nations of Photography.com website. I saw a link to an article this week um, featuring two kind of elements of photography that I've got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, one of them is Peta Pixel, which I do film is sometimes slightly kind of, I don't know what the word is, kind of tabloid really about photography at times. And uh, they were writing about uh, lens culture, which is something else which I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, you may be aware that it has a, a nickname amongst some of the photographic community as lens vulture. But anyway... I thought it was worth just uh, exploring this particular article, which, again, I do find is slightly kind of sensationalist and tabloid in nature, but I think it raises an interesting question. So I'm, I'm going to read it to you now. 
It said this, one of the judges for Lens Culture's 2022 Street Photography Award selected a member of the photo collective he is a part of as a winner, leading to questions of bias or impropriety. Last week, Lens Culture revealed the winners of its 2022 Street Photography Awards, including the top three series and top three single image winners. The competition is widely seen as the most prestigious, I should say, street photography competition in the world. Their words, not mine. But anyway... Uh, but less than a week later, the results of the awards have continued to instigate chatter, though not for the quality of the photos. In addition to the series and single image selections, finalists and jurors' picks for each of the eight judges were listed. One of these picks has raised both eyebrows and questions due to a relationship between the judge and the winner. Matt Stewart, part of the Upstreet Photography Collective, uh, selected a series from Eleanor Simone, who is also a member of UP. However, this connection was not disclosed in Stewart's juror notes. When a judge picks a photographer from the same collective as them for a juror's choice, you know there's something questionable about the impartiality of the judgment, was one of the comments made. As a result, I'm never uh, ever wasting money on a lens culture competition ever again, said one photographer on Instagram. Well, I actually think that's a good idea, but not for this reason necessarily. Anyway, another photographer emailed Petter Pixel evidently directly to express his displeasure and confirmed that after he brought the issue to Lens Culture, the organisation refunded his entry fee. Which seems perfectly reasonable. Anyway, as we, as we go through this article, uh, Matt Stewart actually um, spoke to Petapixel, which is good for Matt. He said, uh, Matt Stewart tells Petapixel that his decision was not based on their shared connection with Up. He said street photography is a small community, so not personally knowing entrants and their work in a street photography competition is almost impossible, Stewart says in an email. Stewart's point, though not unreasonable, brings up a larger question about bias in photography competitions even beyond Lens Culture's awards. Because of such conditions, this is unlikely to be the first or last time an issue of bias in photography competition arises. But there does not seem to be a consensus on how to handle such matters or what kind of connection ranging from prior familiarity to uh, having worked with a fellow photographer crosses a line into impropriety. Lens Culture did not respond to multiple requests for comment from Petter Pixel. Well, I think Matt handled that perfectly well. Quite understand his position. As regular listeners know, I am not a fan of paid-for photographic competitions at all. I've judged many of them. and I'm going to give you my uh, advice on, on what to do because they, they seem to have a problem understanding what a judge should do if they see work that they recognise. But anyway, we'll go on to that in a minute. Um, so I'm not a big fan of these paid-for competitions. I'm not a big fan of Lens Culture, and that's why it's got that nickname Lens Vulture. But anyway, the more important thing to me is this is very simple. The truth of the matter should be that if, as a judge of a photographic competition, you see work or you see work by a photographer that you know or the work that you know and perhaps you've had some kind of engagement with it or it's just part of the collective, you recuse yourself. You step back and you say, I'm sorry, 
I cannot judge this particular photographer's work. Somebody else needs to judge whether or not this should go forward. Because there is a, a clash of um, kind of, I suppose, what would you say, interests in this case. There's a conflict of interest. And therefore, as there is a conflict of interest, I step back. Now, that happens in many areas which we all have engagement with. I've had it with interviewing people as well for jobs when I've just said, do you know what? I know that person too well. It's not appropriate for me to do that. So it seems to me there's a very simple solution to what Peter Pixel seems to be thinking is a big problem. There, it isn't a big problem. It does require the judge to be respectful and take on that responsibility. That's one separate thing, perhaps, that we could discuss at another point. But in the short term, the solution is simple. But of course, there is another solution, which is even simpler. Just don't enter paid-for photography competitions. I never really see this podcast as being a photography podcast. That may sound strange to you. In fact, I was talking to somebody about it the other day, somebody from New York who's interested in what we do here. And I said, you know, it, we don't talk about photographs. We kind of... Photography is a starting point for a discussion, I think, which is much more to do with who we are as people and life and so forth. I hope that doesn't sound too pretentious, but it's certainly how I feel about it, or I hope. Anyway, we cannot hide from what's happening uh, globally from a social economic perspective. And a lot of us are having really tough times already. And certainly with the situation with energy in the UK, it looks like things could be, get tougher again. We've got a new uh, prime minister. Well, kind of. Let's see what happens there. But anyway, I, I think a lot of us will be very um, used to the phrase that uh, it'll all be okay in the end. But that end seems to be keep getting pushed further and further back. And some words from a song came to my mind. And I think I'm going to share them with you this week because I think there's kind of a lot of truth in them. Uh, they're these. Well, it's all right riding around in the breeze. Well, it's all right if you live the life you please. Well, it's all right doing the best you can. Well, it's all right as long as you lend a hand. You can sit around and wait for the phone to ring, waiting for someone to tell you everything. Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a diamond ring. Well, it's all right, even if they say you're wrong. Well, it's all right. Sometimes you've got to be strong. Well, it's all right, as long as you've got somewhere to lay. Well, it's all right. Every day is judgment day. Don't have to be ashamed of the car I drive. I'm just glad to be here, happy to be alive. And it don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. Well, it's all right, even if you're old and grey. Well, it's all right, you still got something to say. Well, it's all right, remember to live and let live. Well, it's all right, the best you can do is forgive. End of the line. 1988. Surprisingly, perhaps, the Travelling Wilburys. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, just a quick congratulations to Jim Mortram on his photo print day. Uh, that was a massive success. And thank you to everybody who bought prints from me and also got involved. I think Jim knows that it's OK. I hope he takes care. And I hope you do too.